Uh, Jim Chapman usually filling that center seat. Uh, I'm Don Kelly, and I'm sitting in for him today. So that is the position I have assumed here. On the left this morning, the Reverend Susan Eagle. We welcome her to the program. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. And on the right, as usual, Bob Metz. No, no pinch hitter for you this morning. No pinch hitter, no. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the only regular this morning. Uh, the issue we're going to be talking about today is health care cuts. We're going to be talking about, uh, I'm sure, the stories that you have heard, uh, watched, and read in the media about uh, this chronic shortage of intensive care unit beds in our city both last week and this week. And uh, certainly the stories this morning in the media were all focusing on the budget deficit situations in our hospitals. London Health Sciences Centre, they haven't issued a direct figure yet, but they're saying that they're running a deficit of several million dollars. The St. Thomas Elgin General Hospital, a $2 million deficit this year. That's on top of the $2 million deficit last year. St. Joe's not faring any better. They have a million-dollar-plus deficit that they're running as well. They all want action from the health minister. This takes us right back to our primary question that we're going to be discussing first off the bat this morning, lady and gentlemen, and that is, what is the proper role of government in delivering health care? Should we expect the government to come running to the help of the hospitals uh, in, in these situations? Uh, leading off from the left, we will go to Susan Eagle. Well, of course, the government has a responsibility for the providing of health care. Um, if you have any vision of a healthy community, you know that proper health care is, is a fundamental um, basic service that's got to be provided to, to keep the the community healthy and to keep the the country healthy but more than that Canada has made a commitment to health care our Constitution Act uh, includes a reference to um, public services of reasonable quality for all Canadians uh, we've signed international covenants the human rights uh, declaration in which we say that we are committed to providing um, medical care and necessary social services um, and also other international covenants that we've saw, uh, signed, which where we also spell out our obligation and commitment to providing health care. So it's not just uh, should we or shouldn't we. We've committed ourselves to it. But Bob Metz, what are the Tories doing to us then? They're, they're the anti uh, antithesis, I guess we call it, of this. The Tories aren't doing anything different to us than Bob Ray would have done to us or the Liberals would have done to us. Uh, what we're seeing today is the inevitable result of, of a robbing Peter to pay Paul social health care system. It can't work that way. Um, I agree that the government has assumed a certain level of responsibility and put us in a big mess, but we have to go back to the days when the government brought in, particularly in Ontario, the what was once called the OHIP plan, the Ontario Health Insurance Plan. Um, this plan was a fraud from the very beginning. It wasn't, didn't have anything to do about health. You know, premiums only covered 12% of the costs. It wasn't about insurance because it wasn't actuarially sound and there was no investment being made for future expected expenses. And there was no plan. There was no real plan in terms of investing money, in terms of making sure we had a pool of funds available to meet the emergencies for which insurance is normally the avenue we, we turn to to do that kind of a thing. So naturally, most of our health care expenses were being paid for by taxes. Um, we placed a universal system up, uh, set, set up a universal system so that health care is available to everyone, free of charge, rich or poor, doesn't matter who you are. This is not a system that's designed to help the people who cannot help themselves. This is a plan where everybody's in the, in the safety net and nobody's holding it up. So it's natural that the safety net's going to rip. What's wrong with the safety net, though? 
Well, yeah, I'm having I'm a little trouble with yeah. that too. <laughs> you know, I don't mind having a debate with you know and, and identifying left and right on a lot of issues uh, ideologically. But when you get to healthcare, it seems to me that there ought to be an absolute commitment from everybody that we need to have proper healthcare for everybody in the country. We know that when we move away from universality on programs, that very often we move to two kinds of delivery systems that segregate out people according to the money they've got. So I wouldn't support that. Well, because I think every Canadian is entitled to the same quality of health care as every other Canadian. I don't think it should be based on on who's got more money. So you don't think they should have a choice? Like like in 1968 when they brought OHIP in, 82% of Ontarians already had private health insurance. Why did we have to make their insurance plans illegal? force them to get on to a government health insurance plan, why didn't we just take care of the 18% that didn't have insurance? Well, first of all, where they've moved to private health care or, or have private health care in the states, the states are actually looking at the Canadian health care plan as being something that's more efficient and cheaper and provides uh, better health care uh, than what they have in the states. Well, Number I, don't think two, that's, I don't think that's the impetus for the, the American look at the Canadian system. I think there's a lot of political posturing there, and it's an easy system to get votes on. It doesn't work. It doesn't work any better here and it didn't, than it didn't work in any I'm, other country. I'm not going to suggest that I don't think there's room for improvements in our health care system. Of course there is. But you only have to look at a book that was put out just last year by the seniors, Canadian seniors, um, called Life Before Medicare, and it just tells absolute horror stories of what's gone on uh, before people had health care and the absolute impoverishment of people because there was some kind of medical crisis in the family. Well, no, you mean before people had insurance, not before people had health care. And again, it begs the question, why don't we just help the people who didn't have that insurance? You can give me all the horror stories in the world, and I would be happy if government just dealt with the horror stories, but it's not. I, it's, I guess, Bob, I, I need to tackle you on this because I'm... I'm and, and and it sounds like Susan shares my concern that, that these people, okay, the the 72% who did have health insurance, private health insurance, 82, yeah. 82%, uh, who's to say that, that they had access to equal quality health care? There, there would be some insurance plans that would be, that would be better than others. Now, well, under this system, everybody's equal. And let's well, add in there, too, the fact that when you create unhealthy people, you create an expense down the line that is absolutely monumental. Um, we're not just talking about... Well, then how do you uh, explain the, the monumental expense we have now? Because we took the opposite, supposedly the opposite course. We, we put in a, and instituted the very system that you're advocating, and here we are with debts piling up, deficits piling up, no, no place to I don't get know what debts and deficits you're talking about. The federal government has come out and said that they're about to, to have a, a clean slate very, very shortly. That's not true. And also, when you look at the percentage of money that is being spent on social programs um, as a percentage of our budget, it's not uh, increased uh, over the years at all. There's been a lot of other stuff that's been going on, but, but in terms of our social programs, we're not spending more. But we're this still is spending part of the, the same problem percentage. with having the government paying for our health care. It, it is precisely because... No, we're paying for our health care. Well, government absolutely. is us. And if we decide so that we, we want to why do we need a middle party? Why don't we just pay for our own health care? Because you can't have equality of health service when you do it that way and also when it's done individualistically like that it it turns out that it's more expensive but government's well, us no, we decide like that. that we want tax dollars spent so that we can have a healthy community once you get away from that and you get into spread of disease or or uncontrollable health problems 
boy, you've got a much bigger uh, debt to, incurred than you do well, by, if by, equality is the by objective, providing public health care. If equality is the objective, then why not just pass a law, say like they do for car insurance or something, and just pass a law privately forcing people to get private insurance to cover all their health care needs, including uh, first dollar walk in the door, first dollar coverage, Because I no think deductible. we've got a better system. We've got a better system, and well, like I said, the better? Americans are looking at our system as being an improvement on their own. Then how do you explain the deficits? How do you explain the beds, the beds being closed? This it, is the better system. The government system? is cutting back on the money that's going into the the health care that we need to have. You, that's what how I explain it. Lady and gentlemen, we're going to we're going to take time out here. Okay. We're gonna, we're we're, uh, we're into a good debate. We're going to continue it. We're going to have some callers join us. Six four three twelve ninety is the number if you would like to talk to uh, Reverend Susan Eagle on the left today. Bob Metz on the right. This is Left Right Center, and this is Talk of the Town. Joining me in the studio for Left Right Center this morning, representing the left, the Reverend Susan Eagle, and on the right, as usual, Bob Metz. We are talking about health care, and uh, we are going to take some calls. So 643-1290 is the number. And Ruth joins us this morning. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning, Don, and greetings to your guests. Uh, I'm phoning to uh, make the point to Susan Eagle and to get her comment on this. Um, I feel that uh, there's a lot of angst or anger, I guess, with the intensive care bed situation and the cutbacks and so on, and that this is being foisted on the back of um, the Harris Tories, and, and they're getting the blame for it. I want to make the point that uh, it's the federal cutbacks that caused this um, funding shortage in the hospital area, that the, the, the provincial Tories have actually increased spending over their, their mandate. And, uh, you know, I, I took Susan Eagle's point that um, we have a constitutional right to basic health care. And, uh, yes, that could be a standard uh, health care um, right across Canada. No problem with that. But individually, at the provincial level, we have control over it, too. So, uh, but anyway, my main point is, uh, would you please comment on the funding model that we have at present? And uh, please put the blame where it belongs. Ruth, thanks for your comments. Um, at this point, I hadn't named any government I th uh, um, as being a culprit. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, they're all culprits. Um, we've been watching with some concern for, for a while the cutbacks in transfer payments to provinces. Um, we've had dialogue with the federal um, government as well as with the province. But I'm not prepared to uh, let the province off the hook either because the provinces have also, um, A, I don't think they have lobbied hard enough around the cutbacks in the transfer payments, and secondly, I think they have continued or perpetuated um, some of those, those cutbacks. So I'm, as far as I'm concerned, both parties um, have some accountability to us, and the bottom line is that there's a whole lot of vulnerable people at the receiving end um, that find themselves in trouble when yeah. this kind of thing happens. Well, I totally agree about vulnerable people at the other end of it. Uh, but uh, in the uh, comment that you've just made, you've uh, equalized the responsibility between the federal and the Tories. And that's the point of view I don't agree with, and I, I want to be really clear about, that uh, the, the provincial Tories have increased funding to, to health care as opposed to the federal Tories who have cut it back so drastically that hospitals are find themselves scrambling all over the place. And uh, I hope now that the vocal left, um, of which I think you are a member, uh, will go after the federal 
level of funding and uh, see to it that uh, blame is assigned where financially it belongs. Ruth, the only reason I am implicating the provincial government as well as the uh, federal government is that I've also looked at the breakdown of what's happening budget-wise provincially, and there are some things that used to be in the Ministry of Community and Social Services that got dumped over into the Ministry of Health. So while they said they were increasing the Ministry of Health, they were also increasing the responsibility and some of the programs. And I don't think the general public is aware of the stuff that's been shifted over there, which has just put increased pressure on those budget dollars. So I really encourage you to take a look at both the uh, federal alternative budget and also the Ontario alternative budget, which helps to break down some of the things that are going on that I don't think are making it out into the general um, media yeah. um, mm -hmm. areas and, and getting out to the public. Okay, so now the one last point. Uh, I, I take your point that the, the provincial Tories would be looking at the whole hospital setup anyway, just as uh, to fulfill their basic mandate to get things sorted out. But in fact, um, it, it seems quite outrageous to me that a hospital bureaucrat at the top of the heap uh, would be, I'm talking about hospital administrators uh, at the, the head of hospitals, would be making something in excess of $300,000 per year. Uh, and this is for bureaucratic functions. I cannot see why all this money is going into bureaucracy and administration at the expense of the quality of health care. Well, it's, yeah. it, Ruth, I think that's to make sure that everybody gets an equal share of the health care. It's the very thing that the, that the system is built around. You know, the, the reason I'm so terrified of the very idea of government supplying our health care services is because They've made the same commitment to health care where they tell you it's a right and you, everyone has an equal right to it. They've made that same commitment to other things too, including education and welfare and very many other issues to which the government is equally committed. And the problem is there's no limit set to this commitment. You know, need is, okay. a, is a never ending thing. And the problem is when you have something that's free, the demand for that service is going to be infinite and you can never meet it. Okay, Ruth, uh, one more thing. Um, if we move to private health care, as, as, as Robert is suggesting here, um, yeah, I don't agree with people at the top end getting a lot of uh, big bucks out of the system. But I do know that when it's a public system, um, you get to have more say around what happens and where the spending is than if it moves to a private system. And all I've seen of the private ridiculous. system, people sitting at the top of private systems are usually making a heck of a lot more uh, than any money we have been going out to people in the in the public what, system. What, what say do you have right now about what, where the money is spent in health care? What say do you have right now as an individual? I think we have a lot of say. Well, can you give me an example? Is there anything you can choose? Is there anything you can pick? Can you pick your insurance premium? Can you go shopping for a better deal for a lower price? Can you choose your doctor freely? Is he free to give you the medicines he wants to give you? I mean, what, what say do you really have? What isn't regulated in, under this kind of a system? I think we've got a lot more say um, than we have in a, in a private system. And I think you only need to experience some of the horror stories that are coming out of those systems to know we're better off. I'm not saying our system's perfect, but I think we have a lot more choice than we realize we have. We well, also have a lot more opportunity for public dialogue and debate, which we often don't bother with. Well, uh, elections come and people don't bother to vote. There's an opportunity for public hearings. People don't bother to speak at them. Well, we're in the middle of a dialogue and a debate now, and I appreciate your saying that the system can be fixed, but I don't think you do appreciate where I'm coming from. I'm saying that this system I is I hope deadly. I never appreciate where <laughs> well, you're coming from. <laughs> 
Well, you don't have to agree with it, but I, I hope you understand. I'm not just saying the system needs to be fixed. I'm saying it needs to be overhauled. I'm saying that the system we have now is actually destroying our health care. I mean, socialized health care is a system where you, where you, uh, you know, you get what you don't pay for, and you pay for what you don't get. And it's a never-ending, endless demand upon our resources, and Bob, there's no I, way to, to slow it down. I want to pin you down here just for a little bit of clarification, because you keep talking about a private system, and I, I guess I, for one, don't understand uh, how it would be better than what we have now. What would we experience under a private system that, that, that isn't happening today? Choice, flexibility, choice lower prices. Choice in what? Choice in what? Choice of insurance company, choice of doctor, choice of hospital, choice of treatment. Okay, but how's, um, how's private insurance going to uh, give me a choice of doctors that I don't have today. I have a choice well, to go to whatever not. doctor I want. You have well, you would under private insurance as well, but you don't have a choice to go to whatever doctor you want. Even today, that's being restricted more and more. Doctors are being told where they can practice, where they have to start. But I do, as um, a, as a fairly new citizen to this, no, just as as a fairly you know new citizen to the city of London. Mm -hmm. uh, when I moved to town here four years ago, I could choose whatever doctor I wanted to go sure, to, and you didn't have to pay for it. And now look at what's happening. The doctors are leaving. The beds are closing. Uh, but I'm, I'm still free to switch doctors if I want. Well, well, yeah, for a while. And as long as there's still doctors around to work in a system that's slowly going bankrupt, but you'll soon see that they're all going to start demanding user fees. They're going to start demanding uh, separate premiums. They'll want to be separate from the OHIP or the, uh, the government health care system as it slowly crumbles and can no longer meet the needs. You'll also find the government starting to cut back on the kinds of procedures it'll cover. But, but is this mismanagement? Is this a management problem? Or well, is this a philosophical problem? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. If no, it's starting, not. If you, listen, if you want anything to survive economically, it must be able to, to, to sustain itself. It has to, the money has to come from the system itself. We actually have laws in this country that prevent people from paying for their own health care. So that we have to take money from another person unnecessarily and thereby deplete the resources we would have to help those people who cannot help themselves. I don't believe in this whole equality philosophy. I think it's destructive. People don't need equal service. They don't need equal, equal things. They should be able to choose. Some people need more. And the people in the greatest need are the ones hurt most by this egalitarian philosophy. Okay, we're well, gonna... unfortunately, you're living in a country where we consider that equality is a virtue, and it's something that we're committed to constitutionally. Equality before the law, yes. But and I've I'm, always I'm... spoken of equality before the law, but equality of social benefits and equality of income and equality of talent and equality of everything else, no. We're individuals. That's the very thing we're not about. We're, we're into being individually different and individually needing different things. Well, health care is about equality of access, and it's not about equality of talent or equality of income. And you've just pointed out that it's not about equality of income, but it is about equality of access. Yes, and all you read and you is money. And I think that that is really, really critical, and I would like to see us upholding that, that principle. We're talking this morning about the issue of health care. We're on left, right, and center. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. My guests in the studio for the right, Robert Metz, and for the left, Reverend Susan Eagle. We thank Ruth for her call. We'll move on to Herman. Good morning, Herman. Hi. It's amazing how Susan Eagle and Jeffrey Schlemmer get me a foot off the ground all the time. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, since Susan Eagle's there, Jeffrey must be looking after the 10th city in Victoria Park. But uh, anyway... Uh, I, I
called when Susan made the comment, general public isn't aware. The general public is aware, is aware, Susan, and that is why Mr. Harris's government is in Toronto. It's because the general public is aware. My uh, reference to the general public being aware was that I thought the general public was not aware of some of the shifts in funding that had gone from Comsoc over to the Ministry of Health. I'm really pleased if you are aware of that, um, because last I talked to some of the elected MPPs, they weren't aware of that. Um, so that was the reference. It was a specific reference I was making. As to the public's general awareness, I couldn't gauge the public's general awareness around a lot of issues. Uh, certainly, I hear things that I know are true and things that I have trouble believing, and I think we're probably all in that state when we're trying to discern the truth from what we get uh, from all the various sources that we get information. And all things being equal to all people, we see where that led a few of the countries in the past, and I am not for that at all. Uh, Herman, you don't have a problem with the idea of, of everyone having their own private health insurance? No, I grew up that way. That's when I started working back in the 50s. We paid our own premiums. The, the company, in fact, when I worked for it, paid half the premium, and I paid the other half. Well, what if you'd had to pay the whole thing, and what if there'd been a, a crisis in your family, and there'd been huge medical hey, I, costs? Hey, whoa, 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 crisis in the family. I had four kids born, and none of them, it didn't cost me a nickel for any of them. Not a nickel for a doctor, not a nickel for the hospital, nothing. But now it's costing me a bundle because the government is going into a deficit, into a debt. And then the government has the nerve to say, oh, the, de the deficit is cleared up, uh, so we're going to start spending money again. What about debt? Okay, now hold on here, because you're talking a couple of different levels of government at it's once, I funny. sense, it's here. It's very funny. I was watching both, both, both Susan and yourself, you know, having this confused look on your face when Herman was making this point. It's like the both of you don't seem to understand that there's a connection between taxes and government deficits and government debts and the money that they spend on health care. Like, you seem to want to totally throw that connection aside as though it doesn't exist. Is, oh, is, I, I think you're being... Right? No, you're being too simplistic, I think. I, I think we, we understand clearly the relationship. I'm just not understanding where Herman's coming from because he seems to be lumping together and confusing several levels of government in, in, in what he was saying. Herman, well, straighten us out here. No, like, to what extent? No, the the... the, the point is that I do, I think the government should get out of a lot of things that they're into, a lot of things that they're into, and let the private people do it. Let me buy my own insurance. I buy my own car insurance, like was mentioned before. Right. And I'd like to buy my own insurance. Just take, give me back my, give me back 30 or 40 or $100, whatever it's costing me on my insurance or on my taxes to pay for this health care system and I'll buy my own life, uh, my own insurance. And those people that cannot, that have not, uh, I haven't got any problem in helping them out at all. Okay. But, exactly. Uh, but I, I would, I would like the government to get out of this because of the fact that they mismanage things. And if they went to see the financial advisors that I went to see, they would tell them to get their credit cards paid off because it's costing them too much money. Okay. Herman, thanks a lot for clarifying. Thank you. Okay. We have to take another commercial break. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Yes, that was a relative kind of comment, wasn't it? Uh, on the left today, Reverend Susan Eagle. She is subbing for Jeffrey Schlemmer, who is usually sitting in that seat. And on the right, Robert Metz. So we are talking about health care this morning, and Ian joins us next. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. Um, Mr. Metz and Herman can move down to uh, Killsville, Texas. But, see, we're not Americans. And 
most of the industrialized world has a healthcare system that's subsidized by the government. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to go in that direction. And well, you don't have to, Ian. I'm just saying that if you want to be on a on a government health care system, I think you should have a choice. And, I'd like to hear the rest of what Ian has to say. <laughs> well, I'm just dealing with his points as he goes along, point by point. I mean, he's already asked me to leave the country as though that is a solution to his problem. I, I always find it interesting that people who disagree with something, uh, in a way of trying to deal with that problem, you know, I should move to the United States. I'm not advocating an American system. I never said I was. I'm advocating a free market system, which the American system is far from. It was once more free market. It's getting more like ours, and it's having more problems as a result. The reason that the Americans are looking at the Canadian system is political, not because they wanted want to have a better better health care system. They won't, of course, they justify it with that, but they're not going to get that. They're going to get the same result that every other country did, and every other country that got into socialized medicine has pulled back from it. Ian, do you believe this? No, and I have to. Uh, there's one other comment that no one's addressed this morning. Okay. Almost every hospital in Ontario has laid off nurses, maintenance staff, but not at, at one hospital in all of Ontario has a doctor been laid off with 30% less beds and 30% less nurses and 30%, but not one doctor gets laid off. Why? Because the doctor's union is, union is just too powerful. You can't tell me that they're doing the same amount of work. It's impossible. Why aren't they being laid off? Because their salary... So, so you'd rather that. see more laid-off doctors? Am I, am I catching you right? Well, just a minute. There hasn't been any. That's what I'm saying. <clears throat> well, don't you think doctors are the most needed people in the medical field? I mean, isn't that what most people go to see as a doctor? And here you're, you're upset because okay. we're not laying them off? You're missing my point. If you're a heart specialist and you're used to doing X level of work and you're getting a salary of, say, 200000 from the hospital, now your work has suddenly been cut by 40%, and you're making the same money, and we're wondering why there's a deficit in the system? Oh, but Ian, hold on just a second here. You're confusing cuts in in nurses and maintenance staff with a drop in patients, and I don't think that's what we're seeing. No, it's the opposite. Well, um, uh, Ian, I, I want to respond um, to a couple of things you've said. Um, first of all, as a clergy person, I'm connecting to hospitals very often, um, one of the things that started to emerge a few years ago was the whole idea of a of a health team, which would include a holistic health care perspective, which would include the doctor, the nurses, the family, um, other support people in the community that were connected to the patient to try and move things forward. Um, I, I, I don't advocate cutting doctors because we've cut other staff, but I think you are very, very correct in saying that there has been an impact on health care with the loss of some of those other people who provide support and do work for people. I talk to staff in hospitals now who are being asked to do jobs that they weren't trained for um, or, or things are being um, reorganized in such a fashion that it is having an impact and they're aware of that too and they're concerned about that. Um, so I think um, I wouldn't support uh, laying off doctors, but I would say it has had an impact where there have been cutbacks. I think there was a picture in the paper the other day of a doctor standing beside uh, some empty beds and said, we just don't have the staff right now for us to have patients in these beds. And that, I think, is, is a tragedy um, when we have people who are in need in the hospitals. And I, I'm really also pleased to hear you saying that... Uh, 
that you think that we need to have proper health care. Um, I'm glad somebody's finally called in on this show and said that they think that that's incredibly important. I, I from the statistics I see in the polls I see, um, most Canadians and Ontarians want to have it. So I don't know where they are today um, on this program. Um, I didn't realize till I got here today we were going to be talking about health care or I would have brought some of the stats um, from the states that have come out that are showing that people are spending, that it's costing more to get less medical service in the states than you get here. And I think it's a system we should be proud of here in spite I, of the flaws and the problems that we have to work our way I, through. I have, I have piles of the same statistics and they're apples and oranges and peanuts and radishes. You just cannot compare them and, and, and they're, they're including things in the United States that they do not include in our stats here. But uh, I think that, you know, just to get to the very point here, uh, I don't understand why whatever you may feel about medicine and how you think it should be delivered, why is there this strong opposition that anyone else should be able to have the choice of how they would like to have their health care delivered, including the insurance options, including the hospital options, doctor options? You seem to have uh, this fixed idea that we have to have a, an equal egalitarian system. Everyone's got to be forced to pay into it. Now, all I'm asking is, if you believe in this system of yours so strongly and you think it's so good, I have to ask why it isn't a voluntary system and why everyone wouldn't sign up. Well, I think we have a system in Canada where we pay taxes, and I would like my taxes to be going into social programs. Um, people well, are. I, I would not. So people I'm, are forced you're not to answering pay. the question. I don't consider that I'm forced to pay taxes. It's an oh. obligation and a responsibility that I have. And what I happens if you choose not to? What happens to you? I'm not saying I'm forced, Robert. I'm doing it well, willingly. Well, you're doing it willingly. That's I'm doing fine. It willingly what about the because person who's not? Let's, let's assume that such a person exists. I'm sure they do. Well, it's one of the obligations and responsibilities we have as citizens in this country. So you acknowledge that they're being forced. And if they don't, where do they end up? They end up in a place called jail, just as they would if they had killed somebody I, or, or I hurt somebody. I think you're quibbling right? here. What I'm trying to say, if I could get finished without being interrupted, is that it's a responsibility, it is an obligation, but I also think it's a privilege. I think it's a privilege for us to pay taxes. Um, a, that presumes that we have got something to pay in. I think we need a fairer tax system, yes. But it, it presumes that we have resources as individuals and citizens in this country that we put in for the improvement and betterment and care of all the our fellow citizens in this country. And I think it's a privilege. I think well, it's, a, it's privilege a privilege why to be able to have a health care system, to have an education system, to have a social service you're system. You're not answering my question. Um, I think it's a privilege to be able to have a police force and doctors and nurses and all the other kinds of, of care providers that we have. This is all very, very motherhood as, stuff. I, mean, I don't see it as being forced You're not at answering all. a question of how it can be paid for. You're, this is pie-in-the-sky dreaming. This is absolute fantasy, what, what I hear coming from you. Taxes aren't people, fantasy, social services no, they aren't, aren't fantasy, they aren't. and hospital needs aren't fantasy. Now, you haven't answered my question. Why can't a person like myself opt out or of being a taxpayer? opt out of a particular social program? I don't, I'm not saying taxpayer totally. Let's talk about services. Doctors are not a service that, that used to be provided by government until the late 60s. And since Maybe you want to opt out of driving down the right side of the road and prefer to drive down the left. 
I mean, that's a non sequitur. Well, it isn't. You're saying you want to have total freedom to do whatever you want. You can't. Going down the right side of the road (laughs) is a a law we have to protect our life. And and so are taxes. No, they're not. And we're going to thank Ian for his call. We're going to uh, gather our thoughts here, and we're going to be back with Talk of the Town. On the left, the Reverend Susan Eagle joining us this morning and uh, really holding her own. I think you would agree, despite the fact that the poor woman walked in here thinking that we were talking about another topic entirely here. So uh, Bob and I were just saying that she's doing a great job and and supporting the left this morning. And we have several other calls that we want to work into the remaining minutes of the program today. So we'll talk to Michael next. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Uh, It was nice to finally hear the uh, last half of Ian's questions and comments. After Mitz's, Mr. Metz's interruptiveness, I've been complaining about his interruptiveness for the last three weeks. Well, in general, on the program. Now, Mr. Metz is enthusiastic, though. Yeah. Uh, that's not enthusiasm; it's rudeness. Well, it's not, it is all. It is all also not standard debate procedure. Now, okay. Now that you've now that you've chastised now then, him, if I may bring up the point that I actually mean to bring up in terms of uh, historical perspective, this whole notion. And it's implicit in a lot of what the right-wing supporters this morning have said, that charities or some other type of organizations will pick up the bills for people who can't afford major hospitalization expenses and so on. It's, it's you know, Mr. Mess is always talking about pie in the sky and, and fantasy. That's a fantasy. Uh, the bottom line in well, my family... in particular, the, the excuse, me, excuse me. Well, it's it's a the point bottom, of, the Michael, line. Michael, it's a point of clarification here. We need to understand exactly what you're talking about. Okay. In the United States, for example, I've had at least two situations in my own family where both families, my uh, my brother or my sister and brother-in-law and my father and mother had top-flight private medical insurance. When all was said and done, both in catastrophic illness situations, they were left holding the bag for 20% of the overall cost that was expected to come out of their financial situations. Neither family was able to, to afford it. There are hundreds of thousands of similar cases. People are forced into bankruptcy. Uh, lives are ruined because there are no organizations out there who are really in a position well, or willing to Michael, pick up you, those costs. If you've been listening to me carefully, I haven't even mentioned charity this morning. I did mention that if the government were going to commit to cover costs like that, those are the very things it would target and zero in on and not be giving 100% coverage to everybody for free so that there's no money left for the very situation you describe. Now, you know, as, as I think you were also saying that the notion of charity is implicit in what I say. I do believe in charity rather than force. I think that's a moral issue. I think that people who believe in the initiation of force are immoral by the standard of moral that I practice. Now, as far as my interrupting callers and interrupting people when they speak, I was encouraged to do, show, do so when I was brought on the show because it was part of what makes the show lively. And I think Jim and the station didn't want people to drone on forever with speeches. Uh, uh, so just to, to cover those basic issues. Now, uh, as, as to the problem you perceive in the healthcare system, I think that what I'm saying would more address the very, the very issue you're complaining about. And I don't see why 
people, why do you think, for example, that people should be forced to pay into a system? Don't you think there should be some choice and some alternatives? If I thought that the choice concept would work, I wouldn't have a problem with it. The problem is that the, that system does exist in well, the United States, and it doesn't work. That's fascinating. I, I want to jump in here, Michael, first of all, to say uh, thanks for giving an example of what's what's wrong with the, with the private system that's going on in the States where people get pulled into something thinking they've got coverage and then discovering after the fact that there's some, some bills to be paid. Um, so thanks for doing that. But um, the other thing I want to say is uh, universality, I think, is really critical to providing a public service. And, and, and that's the place where I want to um, um, really push and support. And I'm going to stop at that because I don't want to get into any discussions about who's droning on. So so why should a millionaire be able to get free medicine insurance, free medical health care? If on, he's paying on the proper taxes... He's contributing in uh, a, a portion of his income if he's not um, but nevertheless, working you, you the could system argue to that. his benefit. Um, but if he's paying proper taxes and fair taxes, then he's contributing his fair share into that into that program. And what he's paying in is covering not only his medical needs, but other people's as well. Michael, I, I got three other people waiting, okay? Uh, yeah, well, I'm still really dissatisfied with this interruptiveness. Again, you know, if Mr. Metz would at least listen for the end of a sentence before he leaps in, it would be very helpful. Okay, thank you for your input today. Thank you. Okay, bye. And we'll move along. We'll talk to Diane this morning. Hi, Diane. Oh, hi, Don. Um, it's been at least seven years since I've had to use the um, uh, emergency system for our health care system, and I was appalled at the, um, oh, I don't know. It it's really seems to be going down the tube, and the RN that even helped my father while we were there, he was telling us we should be getting um, letters out to our members of Parliament because uh Starting in November, he's going to be training some people such as, like, kitchen staff, uh, people who are maintenance people and that, that have no previous health care uh, training whatsoever. These people are going to be working in the emergency um, areas. My father's in a nursing home in London. Okay, and, Diane, yes. let's, let's just, in, in the interest, I'm sorry to, to cut you off, and I don't mean to, to do that, but I, I guess let's, let's bring this back to our issue here today. Yes. Do you feel that you would have encountered all of these things if you were paying private health care insurance and we weren't dealing with a universal system? Uh, no, I don't think we would, because, um, well, it depends, I guess, what's outlined in there, but it, obviously there's either not enough money or somebody's not... Uh, taking the money and putting it in the right places. Why are we getting people to look after us, though? Aren't you concerned that you're going to go in there and have somebody who, in six or eight weeks, uh, with some very uh, brief training, could be uh, uh, looking at you before the doctor even gets to see you, and they start, if you're bleeding or something like this, you need uh, care right away, and they don't even know the physiology of the body? Bob, are you... Are you thoroughly convinced that, that we would not encounter this type of situation if we were in a private health care system? I'm not guaranteeing any kind of medical delivery in terms of a doctor-patient relationship. We're not even talking about that here. All we're talking about is money. Money is the only thing that government can change in the equation because it has a right to take it from our pockets without our having any say-so in it. So the issue is how do we get money to the system so that situations like this are less likely to arise? They're not going to be perfect. There no system's perfect. I agree with Susan and that goes for private and for the government health care system. And, uh, you know, it, it makes, I marvel at, for example, the last caller, Michael, who says, you know, if he would be convinced that if freedom of choice worked, 
he'd be for it. Well, I don't know how much evidence he needs to to have put before him that the opposite of freedom of choice doesn't work. Okay, Susan? A <laughs> uh, couple of things. Uh, first of all, governments do set standards, and so we're talking about more than money. We're talking about standards. Um, governments have some control of standards, again, I'm concerned that as we have cutbacks in money, there is certainly um, a push downward on standards as people have to deal with expediency kinds of decisions. But believe me, I am absolutely convinced that if we were in a private system, your standards you w would be far less than we have in a publicly uh, controlled system. So I don't think the answer to standard problems now is to go private. It's rather to put pressure on the government to improve the standards and put the money back into the system where it needs to be. And uh, Diane, thanks for yeah. suggesting letters to MPs. Uh, we need to get them to MPs and MPPs. No, yeah, right. no, I know the doctors themselves are even advocating this. They told me to make sure that we tell our friends, even that uh, registered nurse, because it's the quality. We do have certain laws. Why are doctors trained for five or six years? Why are nurses in there for two years? And then putting those people in there who you and I don't know what, what their qualifications are. And if we don't learn to ask the right questions, then a lot of people are going to be suffering because of it. Thanks for your call. Oh, thank you, thank Diane. You. Okay, bye-bye. We'll move along quickly to Rob. Good morning, Rob. Hi, Diane. Uh, uh, Don, how are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. Um, one thing that you might find interesting, uh, last week uh, the uh, Minister of Health, Jim Wilson, mm -hmm. uh, spoke uh, in my hometown of Ingersoll here. We had about 50 people out. So if there's that concern, why aren't these people out like he spoke and then like it was a question-answer issue? Maybe it wasn't publicized oh, it was enough? Very, no, it was very well publicized. What do, you, what do you think is the answer to that? I don't know. I just thought I'd, I thought I'd, I'd bring this point in. The other thing that gets me a little bit, and I certainly agree with this, Mr. Metz? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> yes, I, I, I get very much, uh, same as you do, sir, uh, upset with these socialists that feel that they can have a better understanding of living, how to tell you how to live your life then you actually know how to do it? That's correct, and that's basically a fundamental tenet of, of a socialist philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to leave other people alone who don't agree with them, and that that's where a big difference is, whereas those of us who believe in freedom of association believe in the right to disagree in a free society. And a final point I'd like to make is the fact that whether the delivery form is public or private, I think whichever system can get the maximum number of dollars to the frontline workers, to the people who need the help, that is a system that we should should follow. Okay, thanks a lot for your okay, points thank this you morning, Rob. Thanks very much. In fact, it, the studies show that the public system does get more dollars to the people in need. And again, I didn't bring those studies in with me, but uh, maybe I can send them in to Jim. For, that sounds uh, good. I can, uh, you can pile the studies up, Susan. I got studies back at my office that show exactly the opposite of what you're saying. They compare public hospitals in other countries right beside the private ones. They could be two blocks apart from each other. And the difference in the level of health care is like looking at the difference between East and West Berlin when they used to have the Berlin Wall up. The private health care system has cheap service, excellent service, top-of-the-notch physicians. The public health care system is in the dumps. And it's just the way it, it is. It's it's an inevitable thing. Public health care is running on a credit card. The credit card is maxed at the limit. It's time to pay not only our current health care costs, but our past health care costs. So we're in trouble. We have to scoot for one more brief commercial message, and then we'll be back. We'll talk to Gordon. Jim's trying to squeeze everybody's opinions in and talk to the town.
Joined this morning on left, right, and center with Reverend Susan Eagle and Robert Metz. And Jim may be our last caller today. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody else. Um, prior to Medicare, and I believe it was 1963, 95% of Canadians had private health insurance. So the question that I have, that we all have to ask ourselves is, why did the Liberal government, Mr. Pearson, bring in Medicare? Because people's hearts were being replaced, and hospitals were being built, and doctors were being paid, and on and on, and the healthcare system was very, very good, and people were paying for it out of their own pocket. So you have to ask, what was his agenda in bringing in Medicare? I have my own viewpoint. It opened the door to universality. It opened the door to biculturalism and, and by, um, bilingualism, the whole bit, coast-to-coast -coast bit. As individuals, we have to ask ourselves, where do we want to be on the scale of paying out money? Do I want to give 95 cents out of a dollar, or do I want to give 70 cents, or do I want to give 30 cents? I'm even against the CPP. I can take my 40 bucks a month and invest it more wisely than the government can. Oh, okay, Jim, we're going to stay right, a Jim. little. We're going to stay a little focused here, though. Okay, okay? and, and we I'm, can do the same thing with healthcare. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you go. Okay, so you okay. can listen, and we got two minutes left in this program, and I'll let each of our guests have a minute. Okay. okay thanks, guys. Okay, thanks, Jim. Okay, uh, who wants to go first? Well, I think Jim just confirmed what uh, I said at the outset of the show. He went even back a little further. I was in 1968. He says in 63, 95% of people had uh, private health care insurance. The government saw a cash cow and wanted to milk it and, uh, and get votes at the same time. And they knew that uh, the government was still in pretty good condition at that time. We didn't have deficits. We weren't in the kind of problems we were in today. And that they had counted on a growing population base and a, and a constantly growing prosperity, not recognizing that the prosperity was created by the very thing that something like socialized medicine would destroy. So we, we input a system that not only failed to deliver and is failing to deliver, but is hurting okay. its I ability. Wanna, I want to jump in here. We, oh, right ahead. we have... You get the final um, yep, interruption. The final, <laughs> the final word today. First of all, I don't know many governments that do things they're not pushed into. I don't believe that the whole system was so perfect that the government had to get in and get into public health care, uh, that there were no problems. There were problems. And again, I invite people to pick up the book called Life Before Medicare, which is written by our seniors, um, a, a Canadian seniors group that put it out and boy oh boy it talks about a whole host of problems i think too the government was looking at the at the cost down the road of health care and knowing that we were going to have increasing gaps between those who could afford it and those who couldn't i'm really really grateful we have a public health care system and i sure hope there's some people out there listening who know how valuable it is and start calling in and also calling their uh, their elected officials and telling them that a quick word, yes and no, maybe, on uh, are we going to see some improvements in the health care system here in Ontario, Bob? I think we're going to see some Band-Aids on the system for a while, but the old problems will come back to revisit us. Okay, Susan? I hope there'll be improvements, but I sure hope we keep that uh, philosophy of a public system going. Okay, thank you both very much for your comments. Uh, this has been the Left, Right and Center Wednesday edition of Talk of the Town. Thanks for everybody who phoned in this morning. Jim Chapman will be back in this chair tomorrow with his usual mix of... Uh, Left, right, and center opinions, I think. He hits them all most days. We're going to be talking more, of course, about Halo versus Haskett, the closing arguments happening down at the London Courthouse today. So thanks to Carolyn Ellis as well for holding down things on her side of the glass. I'm Don Kelly, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.